This learned avoidance and fear response stemming from an original sensory sensitivity is common, and it can happen for any of the sensory sensitivities your child experiences. Their brain takes the sensory trigger, the thing that adds a ton of drops to their sensory cup, and then it sets off the fight or flight reaction. Then it remembers that trigger and also the environment and the context it was in, And it starts to create a learned fear or avoidance for it to protect you from going near it again. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hi. Okay. In the last episode, we talked about what exactly SPD is. So if you haven't listened to that, you may want to go back and listen to that one. And I promised I would go a little deeper into each of the main SPD profiles, which is what we are going to do today. So I'm starting with a sensory profile that impacts me the most personally and one that I consider myself an expert in in my practice. It's the low sensory threshold, also known as being sensory of over-responsive, or you might also hear it referred to as sensory sensitive or a sensory avoider. So when we talk about different sensory profiles, we are talking about sensory thresholds, meaning how much input a person's nervous system can tolerate or needs in order to feel regulated. And regulated just means calm, uh, just calm and regulated. So to make it simpler, I like to use cups to represent sensory thresholds. A low sensory threshold is like having a small sensory cup. A child who is sensory over-responsive or sensory sensitive or has a low threshold, this is all the same thing, they have a small sensory cup. It can't hold too much liquid before it overflows. So if you imagine The liquid and drops into the sensory cup is made up of all of the sights and smells and sounds and feelings, basically any sensory input that you encounter throughout your day. A completely empty sensory cup or also a completely overflowing sensory cup is when you'd see a dysregulated child or a meltdown. You want that cup filled just right that would look like a regulated or calm child. So what does it look exactly like to have a low sensory threshold or a small sensory cup? This means that any kind of sensory input experienced throughout the day can add a drop or maybe even a few drops to someone's sensory cup. And when the cup overflows, like I said, from too much sensory input, that's when you have a sensory meltdown and they might go into fight or flight or freeze mode and can just appear dysregulated. So these children really can't tolerate much input at all. They reach their max capacity much faster and more often than neurotypical people or people with a larger sensory cup. 
They often experience the world as too loud, too fast, too hard, too sticky, too scary, you name it. It's too much for them. And the important thing to know as parents or teachers or anyone else listening out there is that it's all about how that person perceives, which is through the way that their brain processes it, the sensory input. So again, the important thing to know is that it's how your child perceives the sensory information that counts. So what's considered loud to your child may not be loud at all to you. Maybe the sound of a sneeze is one drop in your sensory cup, but it counts as five drops in your child's cup because to them, their brain perceives it as being really loud. To a child with a small sensory cup, maybe the seams in their socks or waistbands on their underwear can actually be painful and add 10 drops to their cup. But to us, we don't even notice it. It may not even add to our sensory cup at all. Some of the most common tasks that are hard for children with small sensory cups include being sensitive to the feeling of fabric in their clothes, being sensitive to loud sounds, or just overstimulated from busy environments, kind of like when there's a lot of people talking and music in the background. They could also be sensitive to smells or tastes, and so you might see some picky eaters out there. There's also children who are sensitive to touch, which can be showcased in their avoidance of messy play, getting their hair brushed, getting their hair cut, hair washing, brushing their teeth, really any of the grooming activities because it involves a lot of tactile or touch input. And a lot of it is imposed input, which means someone else touches their body for those grooming activities, especially when you are a younger child. And so this is when we have a lot of kids avoiding some of those grooming-based tasks. They could also be really sensitive to movement, so they get carsick easily or are afraid of, of swings, of bikes, of scooters, of escalators, anything that moves their bodies or, you know, scared of going on rides at carnivals or Disneyland. Or maybe you have a child who's sensitive to the internal sense, which is interoception, and they are so hyper aware of every tiny cramp or twinge of pain or discomfort, they can just feel it all. So once you start looking at all of the sensory input as drops into a cup, you'll quickly see how an after-school meltdown can happen seemingly out of nowhere, but really it's an accumulation of drops into their tiny sensory cup from that day, especially if they went to school that day. So let's think about it. Let's imagine a typical traditional standard classroom and how much sensory drops it can add into your child's cup. There's the bright fluorescent lights, lots of bright uh, colors or clutter from toys and crafts just hanging all around the room. There's the sound of laughing, crying, cheering, clapping, the sound of chairs scraping on the ground as they scoot in their chairs to their desks. There's the sound of alarms and bells and singing, announcements, toilets flushing. There's seriously so many sounds when you think about it all in a school day. There's the smell, the smell of other people's perfume or body odor, the smell of food if you're eating indoors, the smell of wet grass if it rains, the smell of sand and mud. Then there's touch, 
any touch from the clothes that they're wearing that day, or maybe unintentional bumps from peers if they're standing or sitting next to them. Um, The touch from messy glue or painted crafts, or maybe if they were doing water play, or if it was raining and they got some rain on their long sleeve shirt, some sand from the sandbox, wet shoes. I could go on and on. There's a lot of touch and unexpected touch in the school day. All the chaos and just multi-sensory input from the playground, from the lunchroom, there's so many competing sounds and sights and smells in a school day, and it can be a lot when you think about it. And consider a child with a tiny sensory cup. My daughter, I say, has a, the size of a thimble. It's a, She has a tiny cup. So by the time you pick them up, their cup is already full to the brim, if not overflowing already. And they are just primed for a meltdown or general dysregulation. And by the way, this happens to a lot of kids who are even neurotypical and don't have a small sensory cup. The school day can be so cognitively draining for them, but by the time they get home, they are just ready to have a meltdown or have some big explosive emotions. But this happens more often with children with sensory processing disorder who have a small sensory cup. So whether it's the wrong color cup or the wrong chair or the way you handed them the already peeled banana, but they wanted it unpeeled, it sends them into a huge meltdown or dysregulation spiral. And you're thinking, what? Why are they freaking out about this? But in reality, it's not that it's not about that trigger or the way you peeled the banana or giving them the wrong cup. It's the fact that they are completely overstimulated from school And this was what overflowed their sensory cup. One important thing to consider when you're thinking about a child who has sensory sensitivities or a small sensory cup is that something that once started out as a sensory sensitivity could eventually morph into more of a learned avoidance or learned fear and anxiety of the trigger. So let's say your child has sensory sensitivities as a toddler and the texture of avocados made them gag. And every time you wanted your child to try avocado, it would end in them crying or having a big reaction. Eventually, over time, your child's brain will store that information, the information that avocado equals yucky texture, equals gag, equals cry. And then your brain will eventually create a shortcut to the path from avocado to crying. So then the brain starts to learn and anticipate the negative reaction from avocados. And instead of actually waiting until the avocado is in the mouth, the brain will associate the look of the avocado, maybe the plate it was served on or the spoon it was used with, or even generalize other foods that look the same. And it will associate these with something negative, which is kind of a protective response of the brain. And what you have left there is an anxiety or a learned fear of avocados or other foods that look like avocados. So now the child might cry, throw, or have a full-on huge meltdown or reaction just at the sight or mention of avocados. This learned avoidance and fear response stemming from an original sensory sensitivity is common, and it can happen for any of the sensory sensitivities your child experiences. Their brain takes the sensory trigger, the thing that adds a ton of drops to their sensory cup, and then it sets off the fight or flight reaction. 
then it remembers that trigger and also the environment and the context it was in. And it starts to create a learned fear or avoidance for it to protect you from going near it again. And that's why sensory sensitivity and anxiety overlap so much. And that's why it's so important to utilize a just right challenge approach for your child rather than quote, throwing them in the deep end with an, oh, you'll get used to it. Tough love approach. I'll definitely talk about the best ways to use the just right challenge and best support for these children in a future episode. You know, I like to try to keep these short, but if you do want to learn more about the just right challenge now, make sure you head to my Instagram page at the OT butterfly and find the highlight bubble called just right challenge. It's a great place to start lots of information for you to binge there. All right. Until next time, I will talk to you soon. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.